Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 167 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is April 25th, 2011. we got a great show for you this week on the podcast. If you don't know, the Peristyle Podcast is our weekly internet radio show talking all about the USC Trojans. We've got a great show for you today talking about the Trojan Huddle on Saturday. And we're going to talk to Dan Weber a little bit later on the show and Coach Harvey Hyde all about the huddle. They were there checking things out. If you have any questions or comments, you can always drop us an email. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address, or give us a call, 206-888-6755. That is the number. And the aforementioned Coach Harvey Hyde, we are bringing him on. He was calling the game live on the radio for uh, the USC flagship radio station, 710 ESPN in L.A. Coach was on the call. How's it going, Coach? What was up with that? Good morning, Ryan. It was uh, it was a great afternoon, a beautiful afternoon, a lot of football, a great fan base out there at the Coliseum. Uh, it was a great experience. It was something that uh, I think will become a regular uh, thing for all the football fans as far as the spring game being broadcast on ESPN. And maybe uh, next year when they go to uh, the Coliseum for the spring game or the Trojan Huddle, as you call it, which it is, uh, they can bring their radios and listen to the uh, detailed description of what's going on. Plus, we had a lot of guests on, uh, Matt Leinhart, uh, Matt Castle, uh, uh, Pat Hayden, J.K. McKay, uh, who else? We had? we had a lot of people on, too, that uh, gave their opinion of the spring practice and the crowd and everything. It was, it was just a great experience in talking about the future and the schedules and recruiting and all the different things we talk about between plays. Ryan, I saw you out there with your crew, and it was great. I couldn't wait to come uh, pull it up yesterday and get all the interviews, uh, Lane Kiffin's interview and all the interviews you had regarding spring ball. And it's now over, and it's time to take a look at the entire spring practice, the pluses, the minuses, uh, what needs uh, improvement, uh, all of those things which you do during this period of time along with spring recruiting. And then all of a sudden, on September the 3rd, the University of Minnesota from the Big Ten will come marching into the Coliseum, and it's football season. Can't come soon enough, Coach. Uh, Before we get into all that, I wanted to thank our sponsor for the segment, Southern California Tickets. SCTickets.com is the website. You can give them a call, 1-800-888-7287. If you need tickets for anything, concerts, sporting events, if you like going to the theater, Lots of sports going on right now. Go go give uh, sctickets.com a try, Southern California Tickets, or call them again, 800-888-7287. And, Coach, there's a lot of storylines coming out of uh, the, the Trojan huddle, but there's one big one. And uh, I wanted to play this first question for you because it's harder. I mean, I can't even describe what was going on. I was so shocked and surprised, but I was very happy about the storyline. And it concerns you, Coach. So I'm not sure if you know what I'm talking about, but this first question from Guy kind of alludes to what was going on in the Coliseum. The 16 or 17,000 people are there that they heard this several times, and you guys can all hear it right now. So here's the question. Okay. Hi, guys. Uh, this is Guy, or F. Stones, uh, and I would like to say that I agree with the announcer at the Coliseum called Harvey Hyde. A couple of times they called him the greatest mind in football, or, some, or one of the greatest minds. So I sat behind his uh, his spot there in aisle seven and and watched the game as though I were watching through his eyes. And I noticed that they used the tight ends like he told them to, and they and they used pitches now to uh, to um, the Morgan three times. I have another little question for uh, for Gerard. I saw a recruit down on the field with a the name tag. And he looks fantastic, you know. And then I checked him afterwards. His name is, I never heard of him before, but he's from Denton, Texas. And his name is, let me see here, Jordan Richmond, a linebacker, a middle linebacker, I believe. 
Can you can you tell us anything about that fellow? I think he he's sort of a stealth recruit right now. Maybe I shouldn't have asked that question. Thanks, guys. Uh, love the show. Talk to you. Well, uh, first thing I want to do is I want to thank you very much for that uh, compliment, and I really appreciate you listening to us. And believe me, ours is uh, we love doing this as much as you love listening to it. In fact, that's this is something I look forward to on Mondays. Now, as far as the linebackers concerned. I can't comment on that because I really don't know who he is. Maybe Ryan can help me. Yeah, just uh, I mean, the main part of that, I'll, I'll comment on that in a second, but the main part was, and, and for everyone out there, if you didn't catch the beginning part of that question, the announcer comes on and they're introducing the, the broadcast team. So it's, you know, the voice of the Trojans, Pete Arbogast, and uh, you know, Mark Willivers on the sidelines, but then Coach Harvey Hyde, who was doing the color, I can't. Was it exactly the great one of the greatest college football minds in the country, or something like that? Coach Harvey Hyde, and I felt so bad. I'm like, I've been announcing you all these different ways. I've never said that, Coach. I, I feel bad. I'm. I wasn't giving you enough pub there, enough hype. Well, you know me better. See, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I I couldn't believe that either. I heard that, and people were <laughs> clapping and so on. I said, Oh no! In fact, you want me to tell you the truth? I got embarrassed. I really did get embarrassed because I don't. I hardly what. The announcer said, but uh, I just love to just give you my opinion, and, and it's from experience. From it's from times when I've been through many, many spring practices, uh, and I know exactly what coaches go through and players go through, and the feeling and the fans and so on, and parents. And I don't mind just explaining it to you as it is. And sometimes people might get upset at what I say or what my opinion is, but it's only an opinion. And uh, and uh, I appreciate him saying that, but. I don't know about that comment. Uh, one of the greatest minds of all time. I'm not quite sure whatever the comment was, but thank you very much, Ryan. Yeah, as soon as Maybe I, you have started referring to me as that, right? I, that's what I'm saying. I was like, I can't believe I haven't been doing that. When I heard that, I mean, I'm, I'm filming on the sidelines. I'm like, man, this is going to be great to talk about on the podcast. <laughs> this is going to be awesome. So, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, it's, uh, it's, it's great to do that. Plus, we had, uh, you know who else we spoke to? It was Alan uh, Kraft and uh, his son is uh, you know, out of spring practice, but he's going to be back, and it was great to hear that he's in shape, ready to go, and he'll be hungry, and I think that's important. And, you know, there's, uh, spring practice is not fun. I want everybody to understand this. It's not fun. It's something, as a player, when I went through it, I hated it, uh, but you had to do it. You make the team during the spring. I feel that way. You have to learn to get better in every way during the spring practice. I thought the defense really did become a better defensive football team. They actually tackled. The only thing I think, a couple of things they need to be improve on, and I think everybody might agree with me, and it's the only way the offense really hurt them, was they over-pursued. And the big plays that the offense got against them were against the flow where the backs would break back to the side away from uh, where the play was actually going, and the weak side linebacker, the contained guy defensive end, was not there. He over-pursued, and they got big plays out of it. But those are things that young players who are playing linebacker, who are not experienced players, sometimes do. And you've got to wrap up on backs. You can't block them down. You've got to tackle them down. And uh, I think that's one thing that defense will learn from the scrimmage. You know, they played a basic straight defense, Ryan. They didn't blitz. They didn't stunt. They played the same coverages. They played a straight 4-3 defense, and they did really well against the offense. Now, of course, I think the defense has an advantage, Ryan. Why? They've seen this offense now for five weeks. They ought to know it. They ought to know tendencies and everything else. And, of course, the offense was down in some of their key players, such as Tyler and Woods and so on, which, which is, you know, well, the defense had some players missing too. Don't get me wrong. But I think that the defense really did get better through a physical spring practice, which it was, and I think that's what you need to do in the spring. I agree, Coach. And I uh, just wanted to, for Guy's comment, thanks, Guy, for that question. Um, the linebacker's talking about is Jordan Richmond of Denton, Texas. Definitely a good-looking kid uh, down there. He's actually a Texas A&M commit. Uh, he committed back in, I think it was around signing day or sometime after signing day in February, he committed to Texas A&M. But he was down there. Uh, at the Coliseum. There's a lot of recruits kind of walking the sidelines, and we're actually not allowed to mingle with them. They try to keep them on the other side, but he's a guy that we did get to see. He's, uh, and we'll see where he gets ranked. I mean, he's one of the better inside linebackers in the state of Texas, uh, probably in the top five in that state, but he's not, he does not 
have a ranking from rivals.com yet, but we'll see. I mean, there, you know, there could be some interest there. USC's got, you know, local linebacker, you know, like a Jabari Ruffin already committed, so they can kind of go after some out-of-state guys later on. We'll see about that. Um, and then, Coach, you also mentioned uh, Alan. Gra- it's Alan Graff. Um, his so Is he played. Graff, what do they call it? Graff. So Alan Graff. Oh, like, I'm G- sorry. Not Graff. That's okay. No problem. I mean, uh, he actually came up to me and mentioned that at practice one day. <laughs> but his, you know, he was a great Trojan. Um, he does all the kind of work in Hollywood now. His son Derek is a a stunt man has done all kinds of awesome work in Hollywood. And we talked, I talked to him the other day in practice. We had a great time with that. And then uh, of course, Kevin, you know, he's been out uh, with spring with the shoulder injury, but he should be back there and he's going to be a big part of that offensive line. So yeah, I mean, it's the, the run game coach. I mean, it, it looked pretty good, but I think you know, with not having the, uh, the full complement of offensive linemen, I think it could get a lot better in the fall. Well, it has to. It's a, you know, it really does. And like I said on the broadcast, you know, it isn't like all the uh, linemen that missed uh, spring practice died. They didn't die. They got themselves in better shape and had the surgeries that were necessary and didn't really aggravate anything so they could, they could come back in the spring and or the fall and be ready to play and be eager and so on. And it's very difficult. You know, the games are won in the line, the offensive and defensive line. And and not to have that portion of your line available for you in the spring is very it's a difficult situation but i think it gave an opportunity for the two young uh, junior college transfers to get a lot of turns and learn the offense and so on as far as for depth in the fall i think that uh, Khalil got a lot better i think a lot of the players when you get a lot of turns really get a lot better and i and uh, you got to look at the positives uh, and in the negatives that uh, come out then you got to improve on those things. You really do. And uh, there are some holes. There are some things that need to be done. Uh, there needs to be, I think, a, a lot of things, and I don't want to get into all those now. We can do that some other t- thing, time to help improve the offense and give the offense an opportunity to become a better offense. Defensively, I think they became better in the in this spring. I really do. Offensively, I'm not sure if they got better. I think they got more experience for young players. Did they get better? Did they gain confidence? I'm not sure if they did. And I think that's something you try to do in the spring is bring, build the confidence so when you get into the fall practice, you've got a lot of confidence and you're ready to go. Defensively, I think they achieved that. Offensively, I'm not sure that they felt as though they achieved that. And uh, they're going to need to do a lot of work and, and maybe make it a lot simpler uh, to be able to uh, utilize the talented uh, players that USC has in order to line up correctly and know what they're supposed to do. I remember one spring I went out there when I was coaching and I was having problems with guys lining up on where they should line up in this formation or that formation or whatever it was. And so I got upset and I had the managers pick up all the footballs and uh, what we practiced for about an hour was just nothing but lining up in the huddle properly, breaking the huddle, getting the formations, run the motions, do this, do that, and get back in the huddle. I told them, we don't need a football. Why would we need a football if you can't line up right or break the huddle right? But the play doesn't make any difference anyway. (laughs) So sometimes you have to go back to ABC before you continue with the alphabet. And, you know, when, when, when coach has to, say, get over there or go over here or do whatever you got to do, that's very embarrassing to Coach Giffen. That's, that's very embarrassing, and, and I don't think he – and he didn't elude from that. And uh, he, he knows there's a lot of things that need to be improved on offensively. And I think the fans that were sitting there, I'm not trying to be critical. I think all the fans, if I was to say they look great Saturday offensively, all of you that are listening today would tell me, I don't know what I'm talking about. Because <laughs> fans are intelligent. People are intelligent. So I'm not a homer. I'm going to tell you the truth. They need to do a lot of things uh, to help uh, when you're not physically as good as the defense is uh, to try to keep them off balance, block up solid, uh, uh, do different things, maybe sprint right or left, not drop back. And Play action pass doesn't help you at all when – when they're coming straight up the field, because it just takes you longer to throw the ball. It's better to just block solid and do quick things, run a lot of draws. They ran a draw, one draw, and they made about eight, nine yards on it. They had a screen one time set up as good as I've seen him, and the guard missed the block. 
and the guy uh, got in the way, but I think Matt's got to be able to move around and throw around that person to complete that pass. And there's little things like that, timing and so on, and Matt wasn't comfortable either because he felt as though he did not have the time to throw the ball or do what was necessary. So that throws off the whole rhythm of an offense. Remember, an offense has rhythm. You've got to have rhythm to make something work. And on offense, it's rhythm. On defense, it's it's uh, intensity and, and pride and and all the things that are necessary to, to be a gladiator, a warrior. On offense, you're more of a warrior, but you got to think a lot more. So, uh, you know, I think that's what the way I would summarize the spring. The kicking game, you know, I thought the kicking game got a lot better in the spring. I was uh, a little surprised at the, on the missed field goals and so on, but I'd rather have him miss him in the spring than in the game. <laughs> and, it, and it was the first time that these kids had kicked before 16,000 people. And I'll tell you, that's the largest crowd those kids have ever kicked in front of. So uh, it's good for them to find out what it's about. I would like to see Coach make the kid kick that extra at the end of the half to put a little pressure on him, make him drill it through there and send the offense off with a little momentum, a little momentum like we got down there in that two-minute drill and got three out of it. Uh, but coach says it's a scrimmage. I want to go for it. So he did because he's the head coach. He can do what he wants. This new kid, Kyle Negretti, I don't know if you watched him punt or anything. He did a lot of holding this spring for the place kickers. I think he's a heck of a punter. I watched him warm up on Saturday. I'll tell you, he's a great pooch punter. He's got great height. I think he's really going to be a heck of a punter this year. I really like him. He's a transfer from the University of San Diego set out last year, I think he, that'll be a real improvement. So, you know, they didn't do much special teams uh, on Saturday. Um, and I know, I know why they didn't. They didn't want to injure anybody as far as covering kickoffs or kickoff returns or punt returns or things like that. But uh, I think the in the spring, the kicking game may be one of the top uh, things that I think improved on. You know, I think it was great. I even gave out awards Right in my mind on who I think was like the spring player, the game, defense player, and offense player in my mind, as far as top newcomer and all these things. I don't know if we have time for that. I'm really talking too much. I apologize. But we just had the, the Trojan huddle on Saturday, so I got a lot in my mind. Yeah, well, maybe we can go over your awards. Do we have a couple of questions, but we'll, uh, let's, let's hear your awards. Who do you think got what? Well, you know, as far as the uh, special newcomer, I like this Kyle Negretti. Never heard of him. Didn't know anything about him. Comes out in the spring and really punts well. High punts, deep punts, pooch punts are perfect. And he's also the holder and holds the ball well. So he's a, he's a special newcomer that I didn't know about. I didn't know much about him at all. On um, As far as uh, on offense, I think Robert Woods was the MVP of the spring. What a great player he is. What great potential and so on. Uh, he's just a superstar. He didn't scrimmage on Saturday, and when, when I got the word on that, if you were listening to the broadcast, I wrote a big note next to uh, Pete Arbogast, and I said, good. There's no reason he didn't need to prove anything. He just had a tremendous spring. The defensive player, I'd say, for the spring was T.J. McDonald. I think he's going to be an All-American. He's, he's a great player. He's a great leader. So I would say that he was a defensive player in the spring. As far as other spring players, uh, like most improved players and so on, George Uko, oh, man, is he going to be a great player. I'm going to tell you that kid has great potential and respect of, of, the, of the team. The defensive line people, he's going to be a great – think he's going to be a great player, and I do too. I thought Deion Bailey really made a lot of improvement in the spring. I think the linebackers uh, that played in the spring really got better and got a lot of reps. It's Anthony Burnett, the cornerback that's a track athlete. Wow. I'm going to tell you, this kid is going to be a great player in the NFL, and he's out for track, too. He's going to be a great, great player. As far as the most improved player in the spring, uh, as far as offense was concerned, uh, it, it was hard for me to really single out one individual, one individual in the spring. But I thought Curtis McNeil had a nice spring. He's got to get eligible now. He knows what it is to feel like to play. They don't have a lot of depth on offense. 
Mark Tyler's got to get back and play. And, of course, the incoming running backs, uh, Carlisle, who's going to be, I think, a slashy type of runner. And I think the other kid's name is Allen. On the films that I saw him on, he reminded me of a Lindell White type of back. So uh, in the in the fall, when these kids come back and get ready to go and so on, I, I think that uh, uh, with uh, a little luck and hard work and so on, the offensive side of the ball will get better and, and I think uh, the defensive side made a lot of progress, especially in the secondary and on the defensive line and with the linebackers, because the linebackers really got a lot of reps, the backup linebackers. And and, and this Hayes uh, Pullard, wow, number 10, I'd say he's going to be a great player too. And he wouldn't have had this opportunity. Nick Perry should be a first-team all, all, I don't want to say All-American, but he should be a first-team all pack 12 next year. You can't block him. It's time for him to, to blossom. It's time for him to be the guy and the force. And, and uh, you know, there's some guys, it's time for them to step up. And on offense, the same thing. It's, time, it's a time for them to, to line up and blow people off the ball. D.J. Morgan had a great spring, I thought. Uh, uh, also, Flournoy. I think Flournoy had a nice spring, number 10, the receiver, uh, so, uh, and I think at the quarterback position, I think it's still up for grabs as far as who the backup is. I'm not quite sure if anyone really secured that position. I, I don't know. Do you think uh, one did? I like Scroggins, but I mean, I think he's he stepped up his game more than the other guys, and you saw him. He had that interception uh, at the game, but I thought he threw the ball pretty well. I think that that interception was a deep, great play by uh, Anthony Brown, another guy that's made a lot of strides. He had some great plays in the, in the huddle, but. I think he just waited a little too long on that one. But it seems like the experience factor more than anything has really helped Jesse Scroggins right now. And you're seeing Cody Kessler and Max Wittick struggle at times, especially in the scrimmage. There wasn't a whole lot of big plays from those guys. But I think just being in the system for a year has really helped Scroggins a lot. I, I agree with you. I really think that he's come along and, uh, and, and gotten better. I just hope we don't need any of them. I just hope Matt stays healthy the whole year. When I say we, that's USC and all of you that are listening, if you're a USC football fan. And uh, I hope Matt has a great year. And it's, uh, I think the key to Matt having a great year is confidence, timing and rhythm, and uh, an offensive line who can give him the, the confidence that he's going to have time to throw the football. I think also the spreading of the talent I think needs is so important. I think uh, Grimble certainly did display the type of football player he can be. I watched him in high school, an all-state football player and basketball player. Uh, he can be utilized. I'd love to see more crossing routes. I'd love to see more seam routes. Uh, I'd like to see packages, complete packages on offense, like goal line packages with maybe three or four tight ends in the game and maybe Uko at fullback and things like that. And to blow out people and say, here we come, and you better know, you better put everybody here because this is where we're coming. And then have packages off of that for short yardage and have packages off of uh, plays that you believe will work. If you can't, you run them so many times, you can't stop them. And when they give you a certain type of look, you run the certain routes and so on, and you have the confidence in that call that you know it's going to work. And uh, I think this is what you do during the off season and you and you try to get yourself ready because every one of these teams coming in, Ryan, this is Minnesota's bowl game coming to This is as close as Minnesota's going to get to the Rose Bowl, okay, coming to the Coliseum next year. They'll probably drive by the Rose Bowl to take a look at it because they haven't been over there for so long. And also Utah, the second game of the year, their first Pac-12 game in the Coliseum, and they have so many players from Southern California. Hey, that's not a gimme. They're going to be so fired up, that's going to be their game. And then, of course, Syracuse coming back, I mean, uh, to California, coming from the east to the west. That's not an easy game. So everybody who plays USC brings their game. And SC's got to understand that. They know that, and they've got to be able to step up to that type of challenge and know they're going to get everybody's best because uh, that's how you really, uh, that's why you go to SC. You go there as a football player to play for a Pac-12 championship or a national championship. If you don't want to play for that, then you better go somewhere else, because that's what you need to go there with that type of understanding and, and goal. 
Uh, Coach, well, we got a few questions, and we don't have a lot of time, so let's try to we'll try to rapid fire through these ones. But there's lot, so much stuff because of the huddle. Obviously, it's a big day and a, the culmination of USC spring football. Um, Robert wanted to know, and we saw this a little bit actually during the the huddle as well. Why is the team running so much on third and long? He it seems it's like it's a very low percentage of success, and it just seems like it, it's kind of a very conservative approach. Well, I think he, he they, like I just mentioned, confidence. I don't think they have the confidence that they can block the defense and they can drop back in a seven-step drop and throw the ball down the field. They think he'll get sacked or tagged, and they won't get the pass off in a passing situation. So they try to screen, if you notice, or run the football or run a draw. They don't run many draws to, to do that. And you can't play action pass because nobody's going to go for the play action pass. You can run for eight yards, and you still don't have a first down. So... That's probably one thing, and they don't have the confidence and ability. I've been talking about that all spring as far as you've got to throw the ball down the field. You've got to throw the post, the post corners. You've got to throw the crossing routes. You've got to go three-mound crossing routes and do different things, especially when you're playing against man defense, which USC ran almost the entire spring. So you've got to do things like that to make it happen. But I think the number one thing is in third and long uh, – Coach Kiffin didn't have the confidence that he would be able to get back set up and throw a deep route. but uh, And they just almost just gave it away by, by trying to run the football. So I, I, that's my opinion. Okay. I don't know, but that's my opinion. And that Evan wanted to know, and I, I can maybe comment a little bit on this, uh, he wanted to thank, thanks for answering his question last week, and he wanted to know in the summer, when are the recruits allowed to come start practicing with the team on Howard Jones. And just to be clear, uh, recruits, I mean, the fall camp doesn't start until August, and that's when, you know, the official practices start. But the the players hold their own summer workouts that we're down there covering and stuff for. And from my understanding, Coach, it's usually when the players graduate from high school, then they're allowed to come and usually see them starting to come down in, in mid-June or something like that. Yeah, you do. You want them to join the team as soon as they can. A lot of times they'll come and go to summer school. I think it's great to get an early start, get in summer school, take a couple of classes, have six units under your belt and so on. Uh, you've got to get yourself admitted and so on. But I think it makes it a lot easier for you during the school year when you know you've had six units already uh, out of the way and you might not need to take 16 or 17 units. You can get away with 14 units or so on and have six units of, uh, of class work done and work out all summer with the team. I think that's something that, that that most schools do now. Most most schools have all the kids stay during the summer, work out with the training and so on, and go out and throw and so on. And you don't have time really to do summer jobs. In the, in the past, players would go and get summer jobs and work, and then work out on their own. That that's not the case now. The case now is you go to summer school, you stay on campus, you work out get ahead academically, you take courses that you can't take during the year because of lab and so on, you don't want to miss practice. So, uh, yeah, you want to get them over there, and you want your new players to get over there. You want them to become acquainted with, with meetings and tapes and films, and they can go in and sit down in a meeting room with, the, with, the, with some of the return, returners and watch film with them and watch spring and become a teammate. You know, you introduce yourself. You sort of introduce yourself, my name is so-and-so, and I'm from so-and-so, and I'm here to beat you out. <laughs> but uh, it, it, uh, it's something that I think you, you become a, a part of the family during the summer months. You can't become a part of it immediately when fall camp starts, but there's not any time. When fall camp starts, you're getting ready to play a football game. And if you haven't made your impression or understand what's going on well, then you're probably going to redshirt or you're probably not going to get many turns. Because in the fall, I don't have a lot of time to teach you the basics as far as formations and this and that. You better know it. And you can learn that yourself by being out there in the summer or going through playbooks yourself on your own and being ready to play. Because you're getting ready for a football game there. I really believe you make the football team in the spring when you hit and tackle and get it done and you know who the starters are. When the depth charts come out probably today or tomorrow from USC, whenever they finish it, uh, of course it's going to be difficult to have it on offense, but on defense and so on, that'll be the depth chart for the starting of the fall. 
and uh, they might even they probably have one with the players that didn't even play in the in the spring as as, uh, as number ones because you know they are. So uh, you know, yeah, I think it's great. The more players you can get out there that are new players and become a part of your team, the better it is for the players and the better it is for the team. And then uh, one last question before I let you go, Coach. Uh, Coach Willie always likes to write in and talk about. He wanted to see what your thoughts on the defense were. He listed a bunch of his concerns, but the the overall theme of them was that there's talent on on defense, but he wasn't really sure that the coaches were utilizing that talent correctly. Well, I'm not I'm not sure what he means by that, but uh, uh, there is talent. I I would say if there's a better secondary group in the country, I'm, I'm serious when I say this. If there's a better secondary group in the country. I want to know what university they're at. I, I really do because, I mean, when you look at the defensive backs that USC has, they have they have safeties that could start just about anywhere. They have corners. I think they're as good as anywhere in the Pac-12 or anywhere in the country. They run. They hit. They cover. Uh, so, and I think they're they didn't do a lot of studying. They do a lot of things that. Uh, this Roby kid has turned into a great player, and I didn't mean to ignore him. Uh, T.J. Bryant, uh, Burnett, uh, Tony Brown had a good spring. Wright, Paul, T.J. McDonald, Drew McAllister. I tell you, now that is a kid that nobody talks about who's been hurt, but I'm going to tell you, that kid's a center fielder, and he'll smack you. Go up and stand next to him in practice. He's big. He's got the Clay Matthews look. He really does. I like guys that don't smile much, and uh, because they're they're like a doctor. This is surgery time. This is a a job. I'm out here to, to to improve myself and make the team better, and so on. So, defensively, I I, I think they utilize their players. I, I do. Uh, I think uh, I don't know what he means by that, but I think that they had a good spring defensively. All right. Well, Coach, we appreciate you coming on, as always, and sharing your insights. One of the greatest college football minds in the country. That's what I heard in the Coliseum on Saturday. So we have to, we have to work that in every podcast from now on, I think. <laughs> I've got to find out who said that, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, I want to thank you, Ryan. I want to thank you for the opportunity of being a part of your outstanding uh, USCfootball.com uh, website and so on. I, I go to it all the time, and Read all your updates and so on. And for all you listeners out there, I want to wish you a great summer and off-season. If there is such a thing, there isn't an off-season. And we want you to know we're going to be with you the entire summer, too. All right. Well, thank you, Coach. And uh, thanks to Southern California Tickets. We're going to be back in uh, 30 seconds talking with Dan Weber about what he saw down there at the Coliseum. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We're joined in this segment by uscfootball.com beat writer extraordinaire Dan Weber. Dan, what's going on, sir? Hey, uh, not my first day uh, of the next phase of USC football, uh, getting ready for the summer. And then the next phase, getting ready for the fall. And then actually getting ready for the season, which... uh, that gets to be the good. That gets to be the good part. So, uh, uh, got some time here to, you know, reflect on uh, on on what happened in the spring and uh, and where this leaves USC. And it's kind of one of those uh, moments where you you have a lot of fun just thinking about, you know, what what's coming down the road. Uh, this kind of always an interesting uh, interesting time, I think. Certainly is, and I wanted to, you know, spend this, most of the show. We wanted to recap what was going on. In the Trojan huddle, you were down there. We talked to Coach Harvey Hyde about it a little bit, but we also have to talk about uh, what happened this morning uh, on Monday, the NCAA um, you know, l- releasing some information about Ohio State. We're going to talk about that 
in a little bit. Let's but let's talk about the huddle first and maybe kind of get your overall thoughts on how the huddle went down the USC spring game Saturday at the Coliseum. Uh, I thought, uh, you know, when you, if you go into a game and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, you, you know maybe the guys who would have been, let's say, your feature one-two wide receivers and uh, uh, Robert Woods and uh, Kyle Prater aren't there. And then uh, fairly early, uh, you kind of, you know, you get a couple of hits on uh, Red Ellison at tight end and um, uh, uh, Brandon Carswell, who, you know, really stepped up to, uh, you know, a first-team slot in the spring as, as the other wide receiver. So now you're 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 looking at maybe the first four guys that you're going to throw the ball to in the in the fall aren't there. So uh, you know I think uh, you know Matt Barkley I thought he handled it really pretty well actually. But I thought I mean he threw the ball 42 times, uh, didn't throw it downfield much, uh, completed 22. I thought you know with the exception of the the couple of forces on the uh, the interceptions. I thought he um, thought he managed the game well. Uh, I think he's showing um, uh, more demonstratively vocal, uh, you know, leadership. But uh, uh, threw the ball away, you know, when he should have. Uh, did a pretty good job. I think the thing maybe got overlooked a little bit is even with we've been calling it a patchwork offensive line. And, you know, with uh, John Martinez moved to center, there may be just, you know, Matt Khalil might be the only guy starting uh, in the scrimmage that will start at that same position uh, next year. I thought they still were able to run the ball pretty well. And I think, uh, you know, we had essentially all three tailbacks uh, who were uh, available, all of whom got dinged up a little bit, all, you know, ran the ball well. I mean, Curtis McNeil, DJ Morgan, and and Dylan Baxter, I think – the way uh, uh, Coach Kennedy Paula is teaching them, to, uh, the way they're they're committed to running the ball inside, running, hitting the hole hard, uh, taking on the first tackler, uh, you know, targeting a spot and beating that tackler, then make your cut. You know, then if you're going to beat somebody with a quick cut, which all of these guys have quick cuts. Uh, don't start that cut before you make your first contact and before you hit up into the hole hard. And I think there's some uh, a, a more of a trust between the line and the, um, and the and and the quarterback and the running backs as to where where they're going to run the ball. And I don't think there might be as much uh, indecisiveness about uh, will the run game be there or won't it be there. I mean, last year even with the likes of uh, of uh, Mark Tyler having a good year of uh, uh, Alan Bradford having some just terrific games. I still think there was some indecisiveness of can we run the ball in this situation or can't we run the ball, and that's how you know USC was thinking. I think this year they're going to run the ball, and they're going to run it inside. They're going to run it inside with 185-pound 185 185-pounders 185 like uh, you know uh, uh, Morgan is now and McNeil. And then let them make their cuts, uh, you know. And, and Baxter now has become much more of an inside runner. Uh, he's almost, I guess, he's about 199. But uh, I, I thought that might have been overlooked a bit in terms of the progress that's been made there, uh, considering he might have three other, uh, you know, starters on the offensive line by the time Fall gets here. But uh, but I thought that was a real a real positive. And the other positive I think is the hitting. Uh, the fact that they are hitting and the way they're hitting on defense. Uh, I think we realize now when you look back, Lane said it Thursday, and I think we've all, you know, you just noticed the uh, the whole different attitude, you know, on both sides of the ball when uh, when the defense is flying around, hitting people, playing full speed, uh, forcing the offense to play full speed. I thought, I thought the, the benefits of that and the fact that they haven't backed off at all, uh, that they've hit – hit and hit hard every day of spring that they've hit Robert Woods, for example, probably got hit more than, than I've ever seen a player in one of spring practice get hit because he makes so many plays. Uh, and I, I think that was, you know, in, in the long run, a real benefit that he didn't need to play Saturday. Uh, he doesn't need to prove anything. And uh, I think that was, uh, you know, actually uh, uh, the fact that he got hurt playing basketball on Friday probably wasn't a bad uh wasn't a bad thing for them. Uh, he did need to, you know, play Saturday and take a chance. So uh, that's kind of off the top of the head, uh, yeah. uh, kind of a glimpse of uh, 
uh, an overview anyway of, of, of what we think we saw. Uh, I don't think Robert Woods, I agree with you, I don't think he needed to play that game, but almost for the fans' sake, because it wasn't really all that fun for the fans to watch, and I've got a feeling that they might have even started to boo at some point or were thinking about it. I mean, there wasn't, like you said, there wasn't a lot of receivers to throw to. Uh, the, the field goal kickers were missing extra points and, and field goals, and Hadari hits that one field goal, and that was probably the biggest cheer of the whole game when that one went through, just kind of like this mock cheer, like, hey, someone finally made a field goal. So there was, it definitely was a harder game for the fans to watch, I think. Well, uh, I guess this is where you find out how sophisticated and understanding of football your fan base is because, uh, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, what happened there as long as uh, it helps you play a little bit better um, on, uh, you know, next fall. And I think this game probably helps them, you know, for next fall more than taking a chance with, you know, Robert Woods. I mean, try to, you know, could you remember uh, the score of the Auburn spring game last year or who, <laughs> who was the leading receiver or how Oregon did, you know, last year or this year in the spring game? Uh, you know, I thought the fans showed, you know, I think that, you know, the crowd was, was outstanding. I thought it was, you know, really, uh, uh, you know, a, a very positive sign in, a, in an awful lot of ways uh, with USC football right now. And uh, I thought they were pretty understanding. I mean, I know you, you some of the people react uh, and even some of the media guys on the sideline, you know, like, uh, wow, there's guys are dropping a lot of balls. And I said, well, you know what? They, they won't be dropping those in the fall because they're not going to be out there in the fall. Those, are, those guys aren't, they're not going to be throwing balls to them, you know? But it's like you just wonder what the expectations are. Uh, and, and USC probably got to get used to that because for some reason, for example, Texas can go 5-7 and seven last year, get beat at home by UCLA, just get pushed all over the field, lose most of their coaching staff, have all kinds of shakeups and issues, and, and get re, uh, you know, they're going to be back in the top 25 without any problems this year with a you know, new quarterback and new all this and that. And, uh, and USC, who, you know, was close to as bad as they were in some ways, was, you know, could have been, as we've said over and over again, three plays from being 11 and two without a new coaching staff with the quarterback back and, uh, you know, not picked in the top 25 by anybody. Uh, yeah, it's a double standard. Yeah, you know, it's a double standard in, in an awful lot of ways with uh, with how USC is treated. But uh, uh, you know, you just got to go out and win football games like they should have done last year. Like I think the focus maybe wasn't quite as much on how important uh, you know the difference between eleven and two and eight and five was, and that the games that could have been won had to be won and weren't. Uh, and now when you look at you know, what might happen in the NFL draft this week, you realize USC went into last year more ready to win football games uh, as difficult as it was with all the NCAA stuff and losing, losing Pete Carroll and his staff and getting a new staff in and having all the stuff hanging over, you know, their heads that they did. Uh, the opportunity was there to have the kind of year that people would have said, wow, there's not going to be any interruption in, in uh, what's going on at USC, because in a lot of ways there hasn't. If you look at the recruiting results, if you look at just just you know the way the crowd was the other day, and and all of that kind of interest in, in USC football, it's still there, and the way and the ability to recruit nationally and all of that still there. Uh, USC still there. I mean, it's just you know as good or better a school that it's that it's ever been, as good or you know better a program as as it's ever been. Uh, but it gets down to now, win football games. That's what Pete did, and uh, that's what Lane has to do starting uh, this year. You, you go out now and you win football games. You win every game you can uh, that you have a shot at, and, and they're going to have a shot at, you know, just about every game they're in next year. I'm not sure I could, on paper, uh, put down a, a team and say, clearly this team has more talent than USC. I'm not sure anybody they played last year you would put in that category and say they clearly had more talent on the field than USC. You know, Oregon might have had more numbers. Uh, they were into their system better. They knew what they were doing. Uh, but other than that, I'm not sure, you know, I mean, how much was there to choose between USC and Stanford, for example, when you looked at them on the field head-to-head -head, uh, when they're both playing, 
you know, the way they both could play last year. Uh, so uh, the, t- the opportunity, I thought, was there. Might not have been taken for an awful lot of reasons that you could understand, but uh, that probably can't happen this year. Uh, USC just has to, has to make it happen uh, in year two of, uh, of Lane Kiffin. Um, all right, well, let's get to some questions. Uh, we got a couple on the huddle. Casey wanted to know, he said, has the team decided they're going to wear black socks for the rest of the season since they wore black socks for the spring game, or is that just a one-time deal? I know Lane Kiffin was big on tradition, especially with uniforms. That's from Casey. And, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they, the team did wear black socks. I didn't even notice it, but a lot of people were talking about it on the peristyle, so it was kind of a big subject. Yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, and I usually notice things like that. I, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of stuck, and I know we've, we've been on the soapbox a little bit, liking, we'd like to see them go back to the all-black shoes. Uh, and I'm not sure in that model of Nike that they're wearing that they make them in the all-black shoes. So uh, actually with the black socks and the, and the half-black, half-white shoes, uh, it didn't look, you know, it didn't jump out at you like this was a... a Ugly look. I think a lot of teams that force the black socks, you know, that, that don't fit their color scheme or don't fit uh, the, you know, combination of how they're wearing their uniforms and all that, uh, where they jump out at you and it, it says, look, we're wearing black socks, we're really tough, you know, or whatever. I don't know what the the, the message is there. But uh, I didn't think it was that, uh, you know, noticeable, and I, I, which was probably a good thing. Uh, uh, but we'll find out. That's a, I mean, it's a good question whether they made that that decision. Uh, I, you know, if it were me, I'd like the old uh, all black shoes with the uh, white shoe strings and the white socks. Uh, that really classic, uh, you know, uh, look that fits with their uh, essentially classic, uh, you know, uniform look. Uh, uh, that kind of a retro. Uh, this is you know college football classic uh, look. Uh, but um, but I. I you know, it sure looks like they were testing him out at the very least, and uh, didn't come across as uh, as overdone at all. I thought uh, I thought it I thought it worked. Uh, I have no problem with it, uh, the way it looked. But the fact that so many of us didn't even notice that, uh, I think, tells you that it probably probably worked pretty well. But we'll check and see if there's been any kind of decision made uh, going forward about the black socks. Um, all right. Well, thanks for that one, Casey. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised I didn't notice it either. But you definitely noticed that stuff more than me, Dan. Um, I know. And yeah. I, I, it, it totally went right by. So that tells me it wasn't like a forced uh, look, uh, you know, and if that's what the kids uh, kids want to wear. I'm, I'm not always, uh, you know, saying, well, let's do what they want to do, because sometimes uh, you would really end up with some interesting, uh, you know, things happening. And, and, you know, kids <laughs> like the you know, on the other end of the spectrum, because like the Oregon look as well, even though there are an awful lot of games where Oregon comes out and you go, what the heck are they wearing? There are times that, you know, the the combinations hit and times they don't. Uh, so uh, we'll have to see how that works out. Uh, I mean, I'm more, much more of a the retro look, the classic look, uh, you know, uh, and, and have always thought, you know, that these this look the USC has now when they went back to the shoulder stripes and all that I thought was just the exactly right look so we'll see um, well Jamal question, had a, Casey thank you oh yeah and uh, Jamal had a question on last week there was uh, the, a show on, on a sports center and no, I was a sports center, I think college football live where they talked about they made a big deal about Matt Barkley uh, yelling at one of the walk-on receivers maybe you want to get your comments on that just silliness. They they got too much time to fill. Uh, and again, another a perfect, uh, absolutely perfect illustration of the uh, uh, of, of a kind of a double standard where uh, anything that happens to at USC a is news, b is bad news because that's the threat. You know, guys are saying things like you know on the sideline you're talking to some of the national guys and. The, I don't know. It doesn't look like you're like you're used to seeing out there. There are no Heisman Trophy winners out there. You know, you know the kind of thing you could have easily said when uh, you know uh, Troy Palomalu and Matt uh, and uh, Carson Palmer were going into their senior year. Yeah, there's no Heisman Trophy winners out there now. You know, and it's just like people have built up this idea of uh, you know if USC doesn't have you know six All-Americans and three Heisman Trophy candidates and, you know, run it out on the field at any one time, it's been a terrible drop-off. Uh, uh, so, 
I don't, you don't know what to say. I mean, you say, well, you know, they have a chance, and some of them, you know, mock drafts. Uh, that USC team from last year might have more people drafted, the NFL draft, than anybody else, uh, you know, this week. And they go, oh, really? Yeah, and say, so I'm not sure that it was the, you know, the drop-off or whatever. And then the same example, you know, here Matt Barkley is, you know, taking over and pushing a little harder and doing exactly what he said, which is I'm going to be a vocal leader now, okay? I was kind of the leader even as a freshman, as a sophomore, which is kind of unusual. Uh, but the difference is now I'm a junior and I'm going to really speak up more. And, uh, you know, I mean, I think that's what he ought to do. And the kids don't object at all. And I like the reaction from some of the kids in the huddle who said, uh, if we think he's getting off the, you know, uh, going a little too far, we'll kind of say, hey, you know, cool it. We got to, you're our leader. You know, we, uh, you know, don't get, uh, don't get too upset. Uh, I think that's a really good reaction. I like, I mean, that's not, that's what's been kind of missing for a couple of years of vocal leaders and people really thinking about the team and uh, making the team really, really important. So I think it, it was totally blown out of, Proportion. I think the person who actually wrote the first story is a little shocked how his story ended up being played down the road by people who had no idea what they're talking about other than to say, again, if it happens at USC, it's really a big deal, and it really means bad news for USC because that's the storyline now. Lane, it's interesting. Lane, after every <laughs> practice and and uh, game situation and what have you, Lane likes to talk about storylines. Lane's kind of, he talks like an editor almost, you know. What's the storyline here today? Well, the storyline about USC football nationally is, they're, you know, they're never coming back uh, 10 years maybe, uh, uh, negative, 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 whatever happens is a negative. And uh, that, how do you get, you know, how do you change that storyline? You go out and win football games. It's that simple. Nothing else will do it. All right. And then Jamal also had a question about Lane Kiffin. Um, truth be told, he's not a big Lane Kiffin fan. He wanted to know how, like, what would it take for Lane Kiffin to be on the hot seat after this year? And that's actually a question I get when I go on different radio stations and people ask me about USC. And I, I mean, I, I don't really think. That's going to be, you know, unless he gets in trouble, I don't think that's something that's going to happen this year, uh, you know, even if he only wins seven, eight games. But uh, what do you think about that, about him, him being on the hot seat? Well, I guess we should add that. That's storyline three. For that, Lane likes storylines. That's the, uh, the next part of the USC storyline is that Lane uh, Kevin uh, is, uh, uh, has to be on the hot seat because they really didn't like him at Tennessee. They were really unhappy with him in the SEC. Uh, uh, now he had a better year, uh, you know, than he probably ever should have had, and uh, got him turned around. I think, uh, uh, you know, the fact that they're still mad at him for leaving probably tells you the real story there. Uh, but uh, uh, you know, people just don't know anything, and um, uh, I, I think people were stunned at. Um, at uh, I mean, I think those of us who knew him knew he was going to put together a staff that was going to recruit like absolutely crazy and do a wonderful job uh and be able to do it in a way you probably can't do some other places where you can do it um strictly by doing it right and doing you know and then just you know you're at a place where he you know it's it's uh uh heresy almost in the southeastern part of the country to say that there are places where there are better jobs and i know they were always upset with him because he wouldn't say that there was never anything like the Southeastern Conference and he'd never seen anything in college football like that. And so that residual storyline uh, just, you know, carries over. Yeah, he's, is he young coach? Sure. Has he proved himself on the field? Uh, not exactly. Uh, but uh, he's got a chance. And uh, for people to say that, you know, hot seat and all that, I don't I, that's just silly. Uh, I, he'd get on the hot seat if he, you know, if he gets in NCAA trouble. But, uh uh, clearly, I mean, if you listen to, you know, Pat Hayden, and in this case, I think you really have to listen to nobody but Pat Hayden, um, you see him uh, just thrilled at the way Lane has uh, has carried out his, his duties at USC uh, without a hint of, 
you know, pushing anything anywhere at any time. I mean, I think people still have to question, you know, the stuff that came out of Tennessee, uh, which surely uh, is going to be questioned probably, at the, you know, with the NCA involvement uh, in terms of, uh, you know, how uh, reliable you could, you know, you could take what, what looks like, and even, you know, being commented on, on national uh, people who covered college football that where it looks like Tennessee was trying to shove its problems onto the guy who left because he left, and maybe we can do that, and he'll get the blame, and we won't. Uh, they looked pretty – I thought they looked awfully shaky. And uh, so uh, I thought it was really instructive the one day that uh, USC President Max Nickius uh, came out to practice. Uh, there was a you know, very warm uh, you know, greeting was, was when Lane saw him and ran over and you know, almost kind of hugged you know, and really uh, – you know, big smiles and happy and all that. I, I just thought that was well, very instructive that, that they seem to be very comfortable uh, at USC with what Lane's doing and the way he's doing it, and uh, and 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 probably so. But but you know, there's also a test on the field, and you know, Pete made the big turnaround in his second year, and uh, and I think uh, you know Lane didn't actually uh, have to make it won't have to make as big a turnaround, but I think this is a really really important year. Uh, but I think people who, uh, who talk about, you know, expressions like hot seat and that are just, uh, uh, they're just dreaming and they're making it up. And so what else is new? Right. <laughs> well, so, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think he'd have to do something off the field. If he has a bad season, then it could set up maybe something down the road. But the the, the conditions he's been coaching in, it's, it's understandable if you're not going to have the most pristine record, but I think, like you said, the administration seems pretty happy. He's keeping his nose clean. And uh, speaking of the sanctions, though, there is. Um, I mean, and then if you add the fact that they have worked this situation about as well as anybody could have worked it in terms of, uh, you know, uh, reloading, uh, and, and you know, in terms of having the sanctions hit, and then the you know get out of jail free transfer card and all of that when they were at a very low point already in terms of number of scholarships because of what had happened with uh, with Pete the way Pete had recruited and left without you know with scholarships just not being given out uh, you know without full classes the last couple of years and, and most years actually and so that they were very unprotected when Lane came in and then when you get hit with totally unwarranted and totally unprepared for uh, sanctions like they were hit with, uh, I thought they handled it in almost uh, you know a way that reflects genius uh, in terms of reloading. And uh, I know people will say, "Wow, they're young." Though you want to be young right now, you want to have a y- lot of young bodies and a lot, a lot of young prospects because uh, they're actually uh, set up to handle whatever happens. And for anybody to say. Oh, the NCA will come to their senses. Oh, the NCA will act fairly. Oh, the NCA now they understand. No, they don't. They they'll do whatever they can do. I mean, they're not gonna. Don't depend on them to to do anything, uh, you know, fairly or decently or honestly with regard to USC or anybody else for that matter. It's you know, it's just gonna be whatever it is. But uh, whatever it is, I think USC's really set up well to handle it, and that has to all be credit. You know, Tulane and his staff, the way they went through this last year, the way they saved the class the year before, and the way they went through this last year, I don't think, and I think this is one thing you can say about Lane, I'm not sure there's anybody in the country that could have done that any better or maybe as well. I think they've just handled it better than you could have ever imagined. They're in a better position right now than anybody would have ever imagine that they could have been and and that's uh that's a credit to lane it is well let's uh we're running out of time a little bit but i wanted to get to some of this ncaa uh stuff with ohio state that you know news was breaking this morning um what were your thoughts on that whole thing well it's amazing when you think about the double standard when you see uh ohio state uh where the entire uh, uh emphasis of the charges is that the head coach knew the head coach was informed, the head coach was involved, the head coach didn't tell anybody, and yet when the uh, NCAA first list of charges come down, there's no lack of institutional control mentioned, there's no failure to monitor. I mean, 
they're talking in Tennessee case for Lane uh, of the last six days he was there of failure to monitor 16 phone calls or um, uh, a visit for a, with a graduate student to his old high school or two of the hostesses uh, to a spring game, which are just so minor and minimal and without any, you know, impact whatsoever, and they throw in a failure to monitor charge that they can, you know, one of these nebulous things that they can blow up and, and try to make I mean, after the Tennessee thing came down uh, during the year, we're hearing, you know, comments like, and that could be a major violation. And then with Ohio State, with guy, you know, covering it up, lying about it, lying about it again, you know, uh, uh, almost blackmailing his players into uh, having to play the ball game uh, uh, and then agree to play the next year, knowing all that he knew. And, and I mean, we haven't even scratched the surface about what's going on at Ohio State, for example. Uh, and then to have no lack of institutional control, no failure to monitor. I mean, this is the program that had 375 uh, secondary violations over the last decade, uh, which uh, evidently for the NCAA, that's a badge of honor. It's like, wow, they caught all those secondary violations, as opposed to what most people would say is, wow, they've got the biggest compliance department in America and they're the they have the, they're the school with the compliance department that everybody says this is the standard which USC should have had and yet the result of that is when the major issue that comes down about their football program uh compliance department is totally out of the loop and we don't hear anything about a lack of institutional control and Ohio State says it's their defense well, we didn't tell them about you can't sell your jerseys and you ta get uh, trade them for tattoos and sell all your memorabilia. This is by the so-called biggest, uh, best compliance department in the country. It's a double standard. It's apples and oranges. It's all the bad things that people say about the NCA and how they treat different institutions differently. And uh, we'll see how this how this ends up going forward. But uh, uh, as somebody on the uh, P, I think, said today. I wonder if they're going through the women's tennis uh, telephone logs right now at Ohio State to see <laughs> if there was lack of institutional control. I'm thinking probably not, but uh, but Ohio State. Let's take a look at Ohio State. There's three players essentially who've had the highest profile over the last decade under Coach Trestle. You know, we we have a new standard now, obviously, that they dropped on USC monitoring high-profile players. Now. Uh, you had uh, Troy Smith, you had Maurice Claret, and you had uh, Terrell Pryor. How are these guys doing? Huh? How much monitoring have they done of, of that trio? Uh, you know, uh, all who've, who'd had, who've had just significant issues. Did Ohio State's great you know, compliance department monitor those guys really well? I don't think so. Uh, but we'll see, you know, where this all plays out. But, uh, you know, I mean, it's a difference. Uh, you know, at USC, the athletic director made it clear, didn't respect the NCAA, didn't want anything to do with it, was proud that he never was on a committee. Ohio State's athletic director, however, last, you know, during the year, just recently, he had to come back from his meeting in New York where he was the chairman of the men's basketball committee, which is by far the highest profile most significant job probably you can have at the NCAA if you're an, you're an athletic director, uh, Gene Smith. Uh, so he's about as inside in the NCAA as you can possibly be. And uh, that was probably a major factor. USC was an outsider as far as the NCAA is concerned. Ohio State's a super insider. That matters. That, that matters a lot. And that's why, you know, when they say apples and oranges, you know, USC's – an outsider and we treat them differently from how we treat you know schools that that are insiders where you're you know everybody you're on the right committees and we take care of you and <laughs> this is the thing that that worries you about you know fair process due process from the NCA and this is what the NCA ought to be worrying about if and when they get called before Congress because they're gonna have to explain how do you treat one school one way 
at other schools another way, and, and this is probably another example of it today with the uh, release of the uh, you know uh, NCA charges against Ohio State. Well, great stuff, Dan. I, I know we're out of time today, but we're definitely going to talk about this a lot more. We've got a lot to talk about in the offseason, the offseason workouts and all that stuff through the summer. But with the USC appeal still looming, McNair's appeal, and this, this case going through. So there will be a lot of NCAA stuff to talk about. We look forward to uh, reading what you have to say about it on USCfootball.com as well. The storyline, as Lane would say, never ends. It just keeps uh, <laughs> adding to it day after day after day. Uh, stay tuned. Uh, you couldn't be a more interesting place, though, uh, than in USA uh, to uh, uh, just be on top of everything that's happening in college football. That's for sure. All right. Well, Dan, great stuff. Thank you very much for coming on. And everyone out there, thank you so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. We'll be back with another show next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.